There we are. Good morning. I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. It's good to have you with us here this morning for the Congregation of Prayer, a guide for daily meditation and prayer around God's Word. It's Saturday, February 11th, 2023. I'm pre-recording this because I'm probably going to get back really late Friday night, Saturday morning uh, for my niece's wedding, uh, which was yesterday. So thanks be to God uh, for the gift of marriage. But of course, uh, we need, the show must go on. We must pray and prepare for Sunday's divine service. We do that here on Saturdays by looking at the Old Testament and epistle reading and to draw from a various um, sources to see what we can learn. All right. And so I think today we'll in particular think about the third commandment, Luther's uh, confession of the third commandment in the large uh, catechism. All right. So let's get the devotion up on the screen and we'll begin. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, memory verse, Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Psalm 51, verse 17. All right, and then our psalm is Psalm 18. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and my, the, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called upon the Lord, to my God I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Okay, so uh, as we like to do, we like to hear a meditation on the psalm on Saturdays um, to help us better understand what's going on. And I, I did remind you earlier this week, you know, that we're only doing the first six verses. You want to look at the rest of the psalm. And um, Father Reardon here in his meditation is going to, of course, deal with that. So, Second Samuel chapter 22 gives a nearly identical version of Psalm 17, Hebrew 18, similarly providing the historic context of David's deliverance from the unjust persecution of Paul. In the ancient and inherited liturgical customs of the Christian church, this is a morning psalm divided in the West between Fridays and Saturdays at prime, that's the first hour, and prayed in the East at the third hour, or terse. It was about this time of day, from sunrise through early morning, that Jesus, our Lord, was brought to trial before Pontius Pilate. See Matthew 27. And many Christians have seen fit over the centuries to pray Psalm 17, 18, in context of that rich trial. Indeed, certain lines of the psalm lend themselves readily to such reading. With praise will I call upon the Lord, and I shall be saved from my enemies. From my powerful opponents will he deliver me, and from those who hate me for they were stronger than I. They confronted me on the day of my calamity, but the Lord became my champion. 
The Lord will reward me according to my righteousness. For the purity of my hands he will repay me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. Nor ha- I have kept the ways of the Lord, nor have I strayed profanely from God my God. For all his judgments are before me. Nor have his decrees departed from me. In his presence will I be faultless, and I will preserve myself from rebellion. And the Lord will reward me according to my righteousness, for the purity of my hands will repay me. Jesus was subjected to trial under the two greatest legal codes of that day, those of Israel and Rome, and in neither could his innocence find vindication. Within the finest forensic systems of humanity then devised, the most just man in history could obtain no justice. Psalm 17 fits congruously into that dramatic context. In the final analysis, nonetheless, the real villains in this psalm, those opponents against whom the Lord Jesus directs his prayer, are not the Sanhedrin or Pilate, but they are the agents of a higher intrigue, as St. Paul will later or afterwards affirm. Acts 3, Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. No, the far deeper malice of the hour is that of the satanic spirits, the true enemies who conspired against the holy and righteous one. Consequently, it is the fallen angels that we should see referenced in so many lines of the psalm, for against them our Lord waged a combat without quarter. I will pursue my enemies and overtake them, nor will I turn back until they have are perished. I will crush them and they will not stand. They shall stand beneath my or they shall fall beneath my feet. Like ju- dust before the wind will I thrash them and trample them down like mud in the streets. This crushing of the Lord's demonic foes is vividly described in the Bible's final book. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophets are. And they will be tormented night, day and night forever and ever. Revelation 20, 9 and 10. Obviously, in the ongoing war of the spirit, neither this last book nor the Psalter was composed for non-combatants. Many sol- lines of Psalm 18 there, however, lay greater stress on the rich blessings of the Lord's triumph over evil. For example, the calling of the Gentiles to salvation, rejection by the Jews at his trial. Jesus speaks to other of the other nations. You will set me at the head of the nations, and unknown people have served me. For I will confess you among the nations, O Lord, and praise will I sing to your name. Later, the Apostle Paul will quote this verse from our psalm by way of explaining his thesis that the Gentiles should glorify God for his mercy, Romans 15.9. The merciful calling of the Gentiles in the wake of Israel's defection is, of course, a large theme in much of the New Testament. It is John's gospel, however, that most specifically joins this theme to the Lord's rejection by Israel at the time of his sufferings and death. Note, for instance, that it is in the context of his appearance, or in the appearance of the Greeks, that Jesus gives the most explicit prophecy of his death. And this is really pertinent to Sunday's gospel. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. All right, because Sunday is the uh, parable of the sower and the sowing of the seed, which um, there's a lot of opinions as to what's going on there, but clearly the seed is the word of God and it's being sown upon the earth, upon those who will receive it or receive it not. Right? Oh, what of that? Of what of that? We'll sing in the hymn. All right. So this is a psalm of David in the midst of a great distress, right? But also the prayer of the church in the midst of her distress. Catechism for the week is the office of the keys. What is the office of the keys? 
The office of the keys is that special authority which Christ has given to his church on earth to forgive the sins of repentant sinners, but to withhold forgiveness from the unrepentant as long as they do not repent. Where is this written? This is what St. John the Evangelist writes in chapter 20. The Lord Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. What do you believe according to these words? I believe that when the called ministers of Christ deal with us by his divine command, in particular, when they exclude openly unrepentant sinners from the Christian congregation and absolve those who repent of their sins and want to do better, this is just as valid and certain even in heaven as if Christ, our dear Lord, dealt with us himself. All right, very good. So we talked about that throughout the week. We can move on. Uh, the first reading we'll consider is tomorrow's epistle reading. Um, it's really a sermon more than it's an epistle. So we'll call it the second reading <laughs> uh, to, the, to the, uh, the Hebrews, right? This is the preacher to the Hebrews and a lovely confession of the word of God here, right? You might even know it um, by heart. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him who must, to whom we must give an account. Right? So it's the word of God that exposes, what does it say? The division of soul, it goes to the division of soul and spirit. Oh, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, namely the sinful heart, right? Then under God's word, no creature is hidden, right? All things are laid bare, laid naked, and open to the eyes of him who, to whom we must give an account, right? But of course, how do we give an account? Trusting in the steadfast and tender mercies of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has paid the full penalty, the full purchase price for our sins to redeem us from them, right? And so the word of God preached lawfully, right, to expose sins and um, in its full sweetness to forgive those sins that have been exposed um, is the rest of God. It is the Sabbath rest, the day of rest. It is the rest that God has promised us. Um, Luther rightly then, um, using this text and others, of course, recognized that the Sabbath was not given um, to man for God, but rather God for man. It's it's the day where God delivers, or rather days, or life. We now enter the Sabbath rest. It's an internal rest, right? Wherein God daily and richly provides us with full and complete forgiveness of sins through his word, right? Uh, so it is interesting that people would avoid or neglect or um, ignore the the preaching of God's word, right? Why? Because it's it's to give rest to peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. Uh, you know, it brings forget because it brings forgiveness of sins. All right, uh, rest from our labors, the heavy, weary, heavy, weary, uh, laden, you know, animal, almost dumb beast of burden. Right? God gives rest to us. Um, so Luther uses this text in the Large Catechism. Not surprising, on the third commandment, that is the day of rest. Um, he also, yeah, I think that's what we want to do. So let me pull that up here with my super slow computer. All right. Uh, let's see, where do I want to jump in? Uh, where's Hebrews? There's Hebrews. I want to read you a little. 
it's a long uh, commandment. So I'll just start at the beginning. Um, this commandment, therefore, is in its literal sense, does not apply to us Christians, as into a holy day. It is entirely an outward manner, like the other ordinances of the Old Testament, so keeping a particular day for Sabbath. The ordinances were attached to particular customs, persons, times, and places, but now they have been made matters of freedom through Christ. See Colossians 2. Right? The simple-minded, though, need to grasp a Christian meaning about what God requires in this commandment. Right? Note that we don't keep holy days for the sake of intelligent and learned Christians. They have no need of holy days. Right? We come to church faithfully and regularly. Right? We keep them, first of all, for bodily causes and necessities which nature teaches and requires. Right? So to discipline the body, we appoint a day and a time to hear God's word. We keep them for common people, manservants and maidservants who have been attending to their work and trade the whole week. In this way, they may withdraw in order to rest uh, for a day and be refreshed. Second, and most especially on this day of rest, since we can get no other chance, we have the freedom and time to attend divine service. We come together to hear and to use God's word and then to praise God, to sing and to pray. However, this keeping of Sabbath, I point out, is not restricted to a certain time as with the Jewish people. It does not have to be just on this day or that day. For in itself, no one day is better than another. Instead, this should be done daily. However, since the masses of people cannot attend every day, there must be at least one day in the week set apart. From ancient times, Sunday, the Lord's Day, has been appointed for this purpose. So we also should continue to do the same in order that everything may be done in an orderly way, and no one may create disorder by starting unnecessary practices. This is the simple meaning of the commandment. People must have holidays. Therefore, such observances should be devoted to hearing God's word so that the special function of this day of rest should be the ministry of the word for the young and the mass of the poor people. Yet the resting should not be strictly understood to forbid any work that comes up which cannot be avoided. So when someone says, what is meant by this commandment, you shall sanctify the holy day, answer like this. To sanctify the holy day is the same as to keep it holy. But what is meant by keeping it holy? Nothing else than to be occupied with holy words, works, and life. For the day needs no sanctification for itself. It was created holy in itself. But God desires the day to be holy to you. Therefore, it becomes holy or unholy because you, whether you are occupied on the day with things that are holy or unholy. All right? And then how does such sanctification come uh, take place? When we occupy ourselves with God's word and exercise ourselves in the word. All right? Since we do not always have free time, I'm skipping ahead, we must devote several hours a week for the sake of the young, or at least a day for the sake of the entire multitude, to be concerned about this, the hearing of God's word alone. We must especially teach the use of the Ten Commandments, the Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and so direct our whole life and being according to God's word. God's word is the true holy thing above all holy things. All right. So, and then to our text, I'll skip ahead quite a bit. Um, Know, therefore, you must be concerned not only about hearing, but also about learning and retaining God's word in memory. Do not think it, that this is optional for you of no great importance. Think that this is God's commandment, who will require an account of you, about how you have heard, learned, and honored his word. All right, skipping ahead one more to the last paragraph here of the third commandment in the large catechism. Let me tell you this. Even though you know God's word perfectly and are already a master in all things, you are daily in the devil's kingdom. He ceases neither day nor night to sneak up on you and kindle in your heart unbelief and wicked thoughts against these three commandments and all the commandments. Therefore, you must always have God's word in your heart, upon your lips and in your ears. But where the heart is idle and the word does not make a sound, the devil breaks in and has done damage before we are aware. On the other hand, 
The word is so effective that wherever it is seriously contemplated, heard, and used, it is bound never to be without fruit. It always awakens new understanding, pleasure, and devoutness, and produces a pure heart and pure thoughts. For these words are not lazy or dead, but a creative, but are creative living words. There's your Hebrews text. And even though no other interest or necessity moves us, this truth ought to urge everyone to the word, because thereby the devil is put to flight and driven away. Besides, this commandment is fulfilled, and this exercise in the word is more pleasing to God than any work of hypocrisy, however brilliant. All right, good. All right, and then our Old Testament reading for tomorrow comes from Isaiah 55, which also has this theme of the word. It makes sense because of the sowing of God's word in the parable of the sower, right? For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, ooh, snowed yesterday, or snowed Thursday, I'm recording on Thursday, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Right? So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, forth from my mouth, shall not return to me void, but shall accomplish that which I please. Right? So the word is not ours to manage, but it's God's word to be that He uses to accomplish what He sends it to do. Right? Um, Luther does uses this text as well in the large catechism or uh, on the article of baptism, right? So uh, you might think of the question, how can water do such great things, right? From the small catechism. Here in the large catechism, he says, understand the difference then. Baptism is quite a different thing from all other water. This is not because of its natural quality, but because something more noble is added here. God himself stakes his power, or his honor, his power, and his might on it. Therefore, baptism is not only natural water, but a divine, heavenly, holy, and blessed water, and whatever other terms we can find to praise it. This is all because of the word, which is a heavenly, holy word, which no one can praise enough, for it has and is able to do all that God is and can do. There you go, Isaiah 55. In this way, it also gets its essence um, as a sacrament, as Augustine also taught. When the word is joined to an element or a natural substance, it becomes a sacrament. This is holy. A that is a holy and divine matter and sign. All right. So it's because the word is attached to the water that it becomes, or it is what it is. It's the word that does the thing. And of course, you know what the word um, is uh, sent to accomplish in baptism, to forgive sins, to grant life, the promise of life, or actually the gift of life and the promise of eternal salvation. All right. Um, listen to, i share a little devotion from, um, this is from Dr. Stein, or Lessing, right? from Concordia St. Paul, um, on Isaiah 55 here. And you'll see how this connects to what we've been talking about with Ezekiel, which will be in our Bible study tomorrow. The coming Babylonian exile, remember Isaiah writes before the exile, will put an end to Israel's idolatrous celebrations. Quote, The mirth of the tambourines is stilled. The noise of the jubilant has ceased. The mirth of the lyre is stilled. No more do they drink wine with singing. Isaiah 24. Yahweh's judgment will fall in 587 BC and last some 70 years. But after judgment comes joy, and after fasting comes the feast. The invitation in Isaiah 55, uh, the earlier part we hear around Christmas, Hey, all, come, goes out to all peoples and every nation, 
even those who have never heard of Israel's God. No money is needed. No one will be turned away. Yahweh freely provides everything for the festivities. Come, for everything is now ready. Right, The feast is prepared. Our place at the table is made possible because of the suffering servant, and because he willingly experienced spitting, mocking, whipping, nailing, bleeding, sweating, dying, and rising. See Isaiah 40, or excuse me, 50, 52, and 53. In his supper, Jesus freely gives his broken body and shed blood for the forgiveness of sins, now with the pledge of resurrection on the last day. This meal for his bride to celebrate in, re- in his remembrance proclaims the Lord's death until he comes. 1 Corinthians 11, 26. It is a foretaste of the everlasting banquet, Revelation 19, 9. Far from being over, the feast has just begun. The ongoing use of because or for um, underscores this invitation to celebrate. Because Yahweh forgives, because Yahweh has a plan, because Yahweh's ways are not our ways, and because Yahweh's words works, because Yahweh's word works, and because his exiles will return home, verse 12, standing behind the reverberating because is Yahweh's omnipotent word. It will never return empty. Yahweh said it. That settles it. Faith believes it, and unbelief cannot thwart it. Isn't that beautiful? Because, um, behind the because is Yahweh's omnipotent word, all-powerful word. It never returns empty. Yahweh said it. That settles it. Faith believes it, and unbelief cannot thwart it. So we put our hope and confidence in the word of God, not in our feelings, our experiences, um, not in our hopes and our dreams, but rather in his uh, promises. Beautiful, right? All right. Now our hymn for tomorrow, um, or for, that we've been singing all week, I should say, is Lord Enthroned in Heavenly Splendor. Um, I like to share a little discussion about this. And this is from a Majestic Work, um, the companion to the hymns, 12 years in the making, I think, 14 years maybe. Um, Excellent work of scholarship, just really lovely, all the work that was put into this. So here's the background on the on the text. Uh, George Hugh Bourne, 1840 to 1925, lived a full life of ecclesiastical service <clears throat> in the Church of England, even to the ripe old age of 85, after moving earlier in his career from civil law to the diaconate and the priesthood. In his 34th year, he became warden of St. Edmund's School at Salisbury. He believed that the institution's students needed additional hymns for singing after communion, so he set them set out to supply them. This hymn provides theological points to ponder about Christ the living bread, stanza one, the real presence, stanza two, forgiveness by the means of grace, stanza three, and even heavenly manna offered for humble yet for a humble yet magnificent banquet at the Lamb's high feast, stanza four. Lord enthroned in heavenly splendor was one of the seven texts printed. <coughs> Excuse me. Seven text printed in a private publication in 1874. It first appeared publicly in 1889, supplement to hymns ancient and modern. Of the five stanzas printed here, LSB omits stanza two. Uh oh. So here I was, here's how the missing stanza goes. Here our humblest homage pay we, here in loving reverence bow, here for faith's discernment pray we, lest we fail to know thee now. Alleluia, thou art here, we ask not. How? Well, I could see why we omitted that. All right. Okay. We do ask how. I mean, we know how he's there. He's there under bread and wine by his word. All right. So that's why it's probably left out. All right. So let's sing.
to him, right? Yeah, beautiful. Let us pray. O Lord, graciously hear the prayers of your people, that we who justly suffer the consequence of our sin may be mercifully delivered by your goodness to the glory of your name. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. O Lord Jesus, we give thanks to you that you have given to your church on earth that special authority to forgive the sins of repentant sinners, but to withhold forgiveness from the unrepentant, as long as they do not repent. Grant faithfulness to your church and her ministers in preaching the gospel and administering the sacraments. Deliver us from all impenitence and unbelief. Give us truly repentant hearts that, confessing our sins and fleeing to your mercy, 
we might receive from you the full and free forgiveness of all our sins. By your forgiveness, strengthen our faith in you and grant us to live in faithfulness and love toward others. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Pray this day for faithfulness to the end, for the renewal of those who are withering in the faith or have fallen away, for pastors as they prepare to administer Christ's holy gifts, and for receptive hearts and minds on the Lord's day. Let us pray to the Lord, Lord of mercy. We pray this day in Thanksgiving with Joan and Clarence and Tanya, who are all celebrating their baptism. Pray for the households of our church, especially Jessica, Alicia, and her family, Gary and Julie, Mariah, and her family, and Lynn. Pray for our catechumens, Christian, Wyatt, Aaliyah, Lydia, Charlie, Kaylee, and Kimberly. Pray for those ill receiving treatment or recovering, especially Marcella, Joe, Kelsey, Walt, Naomi, Christopher, Dan, and Brad, Ron, Betty, Joan, Cheryl, Pat, Merlin, Heidi, Dick, and Karen. Pray for our homebound Ed, Paul, and Pauline. Pray for the mission and mercy work of the church, especially this month with Sheboygan Lutheran High School. We pray in intercession for our relatives and benefactors. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. So that's it. Our Congregation of Prayer for today, January, excuse me, February 11th, 2023. Uh, Again, we come to you each morning at about 9 a.m. And tomorrow, Divine Service, 9.30 a.m., Bible study following. um, And it'll be on uh, Ezekiel 14, which we have some different examples uh, of cases where God's word has been rejected and how uh, the prophet is to preach into those situations. All right. So we're going to look at look at those, uh, unfortunately, situations of rebellion against God's word in particular. All right. But as the prophet is given to do, uh, it's important because we get to hear then how God's word um, is um, for us, our joy and our comfort and our blessing, right? Even as his law convicts us of our sin, it is the good news of forgiveness in Christ Jesus that saves us and frees us from that sin, right? And God works repentance for forgiveness when and where he wills according to his good and gracious pleasure. And thanks be to God he's done so amongst us. We're here today hearing his word. And of course, tomorrow we'll be gathered around his word and sacraments to be forgiven, to be encouraged, to be strengthened, um, in joy and faith unto life everlasting. So that we can, of course, depart in peace. So that's for you too. Depart in the Lord's peace and we'll see you again tomorrow. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.